0: What up? Welcome to another episode of ICT 360, the podcast for Wichita hip-hop culture, past, present, future, covering all aspects of uh, Wichita hip-hop, man, music, DJing, B-boying, graffiti, and uh, interviewing some of the uh, the people inside the Wichita hip-hop scene. First of all, let me say this. The response on this has been huge. I want to say thank you to everybody for the response that you've been giving me. Of course, you can hit us up on our Facebook page, ICT360, or on Twitter, ICT underscore 360, and find us on iCloud and find us on iTunes. Just search for ICT360 Podcast. Um, So once again, thank you so much. To uh, everyone who has been listening to the podcast, has been really appreciated. And we got some great episodes coming up for you. We've been talking a lot about uh, Wichita's hip-hop past, a lot of the people who have been in here. Also, what we're going to be doing is, coming up, we're going to be talking to a lot of the up-and-comers. So i got some great interviews on the way. This one is a great one. It's kind of two birds, one stone. He's a DJ. And he's an artist, and he's a producer. I've known this guy for a long, long, long time. He's definitely been somebody in the Wichita hip-hop scene. And a lot of you may have known of him, but a lot of you may not have known his backstory, where he came from, how he got into music, how he got into music production. So without further ado, I got my man Cadence, a.k.a. DJ Cadence, on this week's episode of ICT360. Check it out I C T 360 First of all Once again Thank you for coming through man One of the first things I thought about you Is mainly cause you Not only cause you DJ But cause you're artist And produce Yeah And you're just kind of An all around Um In the hip hop community But I wanna kinda go back and get some history. Yeah. Like, where you? Are you born and raised here?
1: Uh, I was born in St. Louis. Um, then I lived in South Carolina for a little bit, and then I moved here uh, my uh, sophomore year of high school. I went to South and been here ever since. So.
0: Okay, so South High Titans. Now, I'm going to be yeah. a little n- nosy here real quick. Uh, no but problem, what, no problem. That's what, what I'm here
1: for. <laughs> what <where, laughs> year did you graduate? Uh, 98.
0: 98, okay. Mm-hmm. So that was around the time when I was in high school. Now, what was it like? In South High. Like, what were people they are listening to? What were people jamming to?
1: Man, uh, the thing about that I really like about living on the South Side and going to South High was everybody was real wide range it depends like you know we leave for lunch and somebody would be bumping brother lynch you get in somebody else's car they got bone thugs playing it it just really depended on you know the type of people you was hanging around but you never knew what you was going to get into when you got into a car that's one thing about wichita people are real diverse they they ain't really like just east coast or west coast you go you know you find all types of people like all types of different music
0: and see that was my next question i was going to move to is coming from st louis south carolina Mm -hmm. How did you think? First of all, did you think there really was? Were you surprised when people were listening to hip hop here? Because I know Not a lot of all. people yeah. are like, "What?"
1: Not at all. When, when my pops told me we was moving here, he got a job at Coleman. so he told okay. me we was moving to Wichita, and I was just like, I thought like everybody else, ain't number wheat fields and, <laughs> and you know, and, and sunflowers <laughs> out there. That's it, you know. But when I got here, I seen it was a lot of you know, a lot of cool people here, and it was a real good. It was a music scene that was kind of kind of bubbling. It was a lot of people that right. was trying to do things, but we didn't really have a lot of direction. You know, so
0: Now when did you start first getting into hip hop, like around what age? I know probably before you got to Wichita. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Um man, the first song I ever memorized was DJ Quick Tonight. That was my first <laughs> song. Uh my cousin Sam was like he was the to me, he was, like, the one that really kept me in music because my mom wasn't big on hip-hop, you know, but his mom used to let him listen to it. So I got to hear the Ice-T's and all that stuff from him, you know, instead because my mom's was more into, like, the R&B and stuff, you know. That was my mom cleaning the house, listening to some Al Jarrell and call it a day, you know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> now, what were your favorite, some of your favorite parties growing up, especially going to South High, like— mm-hmm. um, because I know some of the parties I was going into in the late 90s at the armories. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. some of those when, when you used to get rent at a hotel. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. We, used you to do a, we used to go do a lot of the hotel parties back then. Used yeah. to rent two hotels and open the door in the middle of, or two hotel rooms and have parties like that. Um, really, uh, was you here back then in 98? Yeah, you I'm like, born to race here. Oh, man. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Oh, That's North what's high up. Grad, so yeah. then, so you know what's up. We used to cruise Seneca. That's really what we was big about when I was a kid. Man, we cruise Seneca all the time. You know what I'm saying? And it was just up and down the street. You know what I'm saying? All day, all night long. You know, every Friday and Saturday. So that was really what I did a lot when we was a kid. We still went to a lot of house parties back then. It was a lot of house parties, but really for the most part, man, we used to love to cruise Seneca. That's really what I used to love to do. <laughs> I
0: forgot that people used to cruise Seneca. Oh man. man, that
1: used to be the spot, man. Be the spot. Hit that little, uh, little um, the little, the little Washington place right over there, yeah. and then turn around and come back down the street. Yeah, we're gonna have
0: to bring that back. We need man. to. <laughs> we're Not gonna have to bring that back. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you start actually, what what came first, DJing or like MC and wanting to uh, make music?
1: Producing came first. Producing. Yeah, um, I've always done music. I went to a visual performing art school in St. Louis. Okay. Um, I played saxophone. I was in Madrigals in high school. You know, so I was already doing music way before I ever thought that I wanted to rap. Um I started rapping because I made beats and I didn't have nobody to rap on my beats, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I started doing that. Uh Twonsack was the one that really told me to to really start rapping cuz you know, he was I was just making beats for them, you know, at that time and he was like, "Man, you really should get into this, start doing it a little bit more seriously and just kind of work from there." So
0: Now, what was some of the first production equipment? See, I I know everybody's on Fruity Loose now. Yeah, yeah. Reason. If you go back that far, I mean, hell, you're pre- all of that MSP 2000 days yeah, cuz that I
1: had I had a rolling I had a okay. we had a lot of uh, like the XP series we had yeah. a lot of those we had um we had, uh, when we were recording, we were doing everything on the VS series, you know, the 1680s, 1880s, you know, and we had those. That's what we were doing all of our recording on, you know what I'm saying?
0: So. Where were you buying that? Which show? was Was Ulick the only ULIC. place to buy that like show? was
1: it, yeah. And then we bought we bought our 2480 out of town, but, but we got our say, 1680 yeah. from Ulick, yeah. Mm-hmm. I
0: remember going to get the brochure. Me and DJ Kool-Aid yeah. went to go get the brochure for the Akai mm-hmm. MPC 2000 at Phil Ulick and I remember him going, like, this is the future, man. Yeah. Like, it has a sequencer, drum machine, and sample. Yeah. All mm-hmm. in one Like he was like This is the future exactly. man Exactly Yeah exactly Man I, I remember Like
1: when we first started It wasn't It really wasn't Like people who made Beats and Fruity Loops I, I met S. C. Trill When he was real little You know when he was So small And then people used To make fun of him Because he made Beats on Fruity Loops Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, I, A lot of people, you know, I ain't going to name no names or nothing, but, you know, it's a lot of, like, a is lot it, of vets. Is it
0: people now that are buying tracks from oh, yeah. SC Trill to make fun of all them? All day long. All day long. He'll take <laughs> that, That's how it too. always works out.
1: Yeah, that's how it always works. But when he first started, I remember I heard a beat from him, <laughs> and they was like, they, everybody was like, man, he make hot beats, but... But he on Fruity Loops, you know, and back then, everybody was doing stuff on keyboards, so they wasn't taking it seriously. Right. But Trill was making hot beats back then, you know what I'm saying? So I always rocked with him. That's always my dude. Shout out to Trill. He always been cool <laughs> yeah. to me. So <laughs>
0: so you got to producing first. Who are the, some of the first people you started producing for? Like, what... what were you when you were making beats were there other people you were making them specifically for in the town or just started just, producing for a group I was just making or?
1: beats um, I had a lot of friends that used to rap and they did a lot of like uh, underground rap so I was doing a lot of like the west coast kind of you know stuff like that beats um and then one of my best friends he kind of I used to live in a trailer out on the south side and he came by my house one day and I used to be so scared to let people listen to my music cuz I was so sensitive I didn't want nobody yeah. to say they didn't like it so, um, one day he came up to my house and instead of knocking on the door, he came to the front of the trailer and he heard me playing beats and he walked up to the house and he was like, man, that sounds amazing. And that really gave me the confidence to be able to let people start listening to it. Cause I, I don't know what I would have did if the first person would have laughed at me and told me it was garbage. <laughs> I'd you know, I probably would have, I probably would have died there. So, so I was really, I was really glad that he really, you know, gave me that confidence to put me there. So
0: now tell me about. Tuan and tell me about how first of all how did you get hooked up with Tuan Sack and you, when you said Tuan something just clicked in my head Prophecy. Prophecy,
1: yeah, prophecy.
0: Yeah. Go ahead and tell me about that. So, I mean <laughs> you said Tuan said like, We all Wait went a to
1: school together, which is kinda weird because we all went to school together, but everybody knows like South High was a lot of cliques. You know, the basketball players hung out on their end. I was I used to wrestle. I played football. So I hung out with the wrestlers and the basketball and the wrestler guys didn't really get along. So I didn't really know Twan at school. Um, but I knew Domus. He was a guy that was was the was the manager for the basketball teams when they were winning all the championships and everything. Uh, one day I went into uh, a CD store over on the east side of town, and something just told me to stop there. I'd already went through the mall, did all of my shopping. It was the day before Christmas Eve. And um, I went into the store, and Domus was in there. Hadn't seen him in years. And um, I told him that I was really, you know, trying to get into making beats and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, man, I got all this equipment sitting in my house, and I don't even know how to use it. You should come over and, you know, see if maybe you can make some beats on this came over there and found out he had the 2480. He had okay. the V87. He had all of this stuff that I've been looking in magazines for for the last, you know, year, two years wishing that I could have, you know. So he really gave me the opportunity to be able to listen to it and stuff. And he told me about Twan. Tuan came over and, you know, told me what he, and it's so funny because the first day that I met Twan, Twan told me about Cadillac Love. He was like, I got to get this really? beat made for Cadillac Love. And me and uh, Skills, the guy that sings on the song, were sitting there and we was like, okay, yeah, that's a cool beat and everything. And me and Skills put the beat together and next thing so you know. So you know, actually it was a hit. produced
0: that. I never knew that. Yep,
1: yep. Me and Skills put that together. Yep. Now,
0: how long did it take to. Now, tell them the backstory about Cadillac Love, mm-hmm. what it is. I mean, it was a pretty big record. Huge. That was
1: 2002. Yeah. 2003, 2003? yeah. 2002, 2003. Okay. Yeah. Um, Man, we never expected that song. Um, I remember we we went to the we made the song, and it was it was Tuan's mom's favorite song. Oh honey, was his mom's okay. favorite song. So he wanted to make that song really in a tribute to her. Her dad, his dad, always had lots of Cadillacs. Tuan had a Cadillac, so he wanted to do a song Cadillac Love. And when he first when he first sang it to me, Tuan can't sing. Anybody know Tuan? <laughs> no, he can't sing. So Tuan starts singing the hook, and I'm like, uh, okay, it's cool, you know. But you know, we'll see what happens. Skills came in there and sang the song and really brought it to life like that. Um, and like I said, we did all of that recording in the Conquistador Apartments over on Rock Road. We didn't yeah, have no major studios. Okay. Yeah, we didn't have no major studios. We and him sat there. We grind every single morning. You know, we brought that song up to Greg. Uh, Greg kind of leaned back in his chair. Anybody that's ever been in the office with Greg, you know, he kind of leaned back in the chair. He put his head, you know, his hands behind his head and just kind of sit there and listen. And the whole time he listened, I'm like, he hates it. I know he hates it. I know he hates it. He ain't going to like it. And he gets done, and he's like, this is a good song. I really like it. He was like, you know, you guys need to get your press kit. You need to get your graphics behind it and, you know, get it pressed up. We was like, cool. We walked out and left. I think Greg thought that we wasn't going to come back, you know. We came back the next week because we were already in the process of getting all of that done. So when we came back in, it was like, boom, here you go. We got CD. We got press kit. We got all this stuff ready to go. Greg was like, all right, great. He seen that we were serious. We came home on the radio that that was Thursday when we talked to him that Friday night, me and Twan got in the car leaving uh, Blues Brothers or Bruise Brothers over off the south side. And we get on the highway by two thirty five. And all of a sudden we hear Cadillac Love on the radio. (laughs) This is like three in the morning. You know what I'm saying? So we like I'm thinking he got it in the CD player. So I'm like, run that back. You know, so he actually pushes the button. He's like, wait a minute. That's the radio, so we are screaming, going up and down the road like we'd have made it on the radio. By Monday, we had the number one song in 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 the city, and it stayed there for a long time. I don't know how long it was there, but it was there for a long time. You can still hear that song on the radio, you know. Yeah. People still yeah, like still it; they rotation. still jam to it,
0: you know. Now, who was all on? The, and I always butcher the name. I always want to say Prophecy Records. Is it Prophecy? Prophecy. Prophecy. Mm-hmm. Who was all on Prophecy Records, guys? I, that mm-hmm. was like you heard a lot of artists. Who were making noise in Wichita, especially Mm -hmm. in Mm hip-hop. But Prophecy was the first kind of label, if you will. Like, I remember the the noise and Connoisseur. I Mm -hmm. don't remember if Connoisseur was from here, but I remember seeing the noise and hearing, you know, skills, Mm -hmm. DJ Hard. But that was kind of the first one, or at least that I kind of noticed. Yeah. Like, early, early 2000s. um, Like, a regular, who was all on
1: it? uh, It was me, uh, Twan Sack. Tuan Sack was really the one that really started everything. Him and Dominus, they were the ones that really came together and did everything. Um, then they brought me along because I was like, I "said I made beats and everything like that." They realized how versatile I was and I could do so many things. And this was way before I even started even thinking about DJing. And um, and then we also had a guy named um, Blase who was with our group yeah. too. Um, he ended up moving away to uh, out of the you know out of the state and everything, so we don't really see him a whole lot. But you know, it's all love to everybody. We still see and support each other. Tuan's got a show out in. Um, out in um, or Washington, and he's getting ready to do that, and it's going to be out there where Adamus is, so they're supposed to link up up there and everything. So,
0: What were some of the doors uh, that were open for that song?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I mean,
0: give, it, give us like a before, that, like what happened because of that song.
1: Because of that song, uh, I really believe that that song is really everything that I don't think there would ever be a cadence in town if there wasn't that song. Before that song came out, you know, Greg gave us a lot of opportunities to do things like we had the Tall Town Shuffle. We did a show in, at the Cotillion where we brought the Century Two, where Town we brought Shuffle. all the people, you know, local artists out. We brought a Cadillac out in the middle of Century Two and brought it up out of the middle of the stage and all this <laughs> stuff. Um, all those little things, like I said, we, we worked so hard to get there. You know what I mean? And I think that's what caused a lot of resentment with a lot of artists and also with Twan towards the city sometimes because he was like, man, we, we grinded to get that. You know, I used to live about a mile and a half away from Twan and I didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. So I used to walk every day to Twan's house to get to the studio because the studio was in his back house. And Twan, that's why Twan calls me two feet to this day because he <laughs> don't care. He's like, one, you're short. Yeah. But two, you know, you will walk anywhere you need to. You know what I'm saying? So no, people don't really know the back story of us grinding so hard just to get that stuff working. But it opened so many doors, you know, so many doors.
0: Now, when producing a beat. What do you do first? You you work on the drums because see, I always wanted to be a music producer, uh-huh. but I you know I in DJ but I just don't like you know music is one of the things you know I like hearing the samples, but I just can't put it all together. Yeah, yeah, I what, get you. What do you hit? Like, do you hear a sample? And like, okay, I know how I can switch I that or do I don't you do, do a, a, a lot beat? of
1: samples. Um, I'm more of a like I like to play the the harmony parts first. You know, like if there's pianos in it or strings, I like to play that part first. Um, then I move to my percussion and stuff, you know, the bass and the kick and everything, because that's what really moves everybody. You know what I'm saying? And then I fill in from there, you know. But um, I don't know sometimes it just depends, really, you know. But more than any, nine times out of ten, if I sit down and make a beat, that's what I start with. I start with like the chords and stuff that I'm gonna play, you know, before before I play the beats or anything. But some people do it backwards. It, you know, it just depends on them.
0: Which is harder for you, producing a beat or writing lyrics?
1: Writing lyrics, hands down. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think when you make beats, if your beats are good. People just say they're good beats. They like them. Oh, that slaps. That's cool. When you do lyrics, people are so judgmental of what you're saying and what you're doing. And is this really Cadence? Is that really what he is? Is that what he's talking about? You know, and it's like it's so much harder. And you're so worried about if I say this, how is this going to come off? How is this going to sound? How is this going to work? I think... Writing is probably the hardest part, I think, in my opinion. I could do everything else like that, but writing is the one that takes me a while to do.
0: Now, when's the first time you let somebody hear your lyrics? Because you started producing beats, Mm -hmm. then you started kind of producing your own songs, rapping on your own songs. But when was the first time that you got the courage to even (laughs) let somebody? What was the story behind that?
1: That, That's what ties into me being a DJ. Um, When I, I used to host karaoke before um and I, my songs were really underground when I first started you know I was one of them cats just like a lot of young cats like hey I need to be this this hard dude out here doing all these crazy things that's what you know because that's what I, I listen to Lynch I listen to you know the gangsters that's who I listen to the Sebos and all <laughs> of that a
0: sickness. exactly
1: yeah that's what I was bumping so so you know so it was like that's what I need to be rapping about that's what I need to do and my friends was always like, yeah, you spit and you cool, you know, but they was never like, oh, my God, that's, that's, oh, my God, you, you, you killing it, you know. My friend told me to make one song, because I, I used to host karaoke, and he was like, make one song for me that's for females, something you can play while you're doing karaoke stuff. So I made this song called Shake Your Ass. I put it on the thing, and the whole time, it was kind of the same thing like with Greg. I'm performing in front of all these people. I've never done it before. They don't even know I rap. They just know that I'm good at singing, so I'm good at doing karaoke. And I did this song, and halfway through the song, I'm like, I just want to stop it because I know they hate it. I know they hate <laughs> it. I get done, and you know, this is at a you know a karaoke bar. So it's majority of white people. They get done. Woo! Oh my God, that was amazing. People ask me for autographs, trying to buy my CD and all this stuff. Just right off of that, and I was like, I'm done. I know what I need to do. It's club music. That's what I am. That's what I am. I'm a person that likes to have fun, enjoy myself, and stuff. Ever since then, I ain't really cared. Since then, you know, it's just been it's been all good since then.
0: What your friends and people on Prophecy say? Like, what? Uh, oh, you're rapping now? Like, yeah. what did well, this happen?
1: They was always, even when I first came to them with the beats, it was like I gave them beats, but I was also like, hey, I do spit a little bit. So they would be rapping. I'd jump in with them. So they always knew I could rap. And really the order was going to be that Tuan was going to drop his album and then we was going to drop Domus' album, and then Blase's, and then mine, because I was by far the one that wasn't really rapping. They was like, we get you time to kind of get up there, you know? So meanwhile, I was doing all the production, I was doing all the recording, you know, while Twan was running around doing the quote-unquote Twan sack stuff, (laughs) I was in the (laughs) studio being the producer behind everything, and I love it, you know what I'm saying? I think that's really where my calling is, you know, to do that type of stuff, you know, because... I love doing all types of music. There's nothing that I really just want to do more than one thing. So,
0: when did the first CD come out?
1: 2003. What was the name of it? MP3 Dimensional.
0: MP3 Dimensional.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, how how what's the difference between you know, producing a song, making a song for somebody else and making a song for yourself and not just making a song but making an album?
1: Man, um man, that's a good question. I mean, cuz a
0: song is hard enough. Yeah. And especially when you're trying to conceptualize it for somebody else. But when you started working on your first album, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because at that point, it's a life in the making.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. So how
0: did you even approach that?
1: Um, I wanted to make, by the time I got to that point, I wanted to do something that was a little wide range. And that's why it was called MP3 Dimensional. I wanted it to be something that was very wide to show who I was as a person. You know, I could still rap with the best of them. I could I could talk about the sick stuff if I needed to. I could talk about the club stuff. I talked about my mom and my family and how I didn't get to see my son. I had a song called Somebody Loves You. I had a lot of wide range of things on that album. And I really think that set me up for people to understand who I was because some it's kind of hard to put me in a box. You know what I mean? Because I, I like to do so many different things. My mind's always running and and i think that like all of my albums show that because they're so they're they're all in about partying they're all about having a good time and it's all about stuff like that but at the same time you don't know what you're going to get from one song to the next right. you know so
0: now also when you're making an album how, how many albums have you dropped altogether five five mm-hmm. when was the keeper of the plane series
1: that was 2000 2009 is when I started that okay. And then I dropped three I have three of those Keeper of the Plains Three mm-hmm. Keeper of
0: the Plane. That's when albums. I started Taking
1: music seriously Right Yeah
0: Now what made you Now that's That's the interesting thing That you just said Was You're producing beats You, you made an album But when you st- really Started making it seriously What was the difference Between making it then And getting serious with it
1: um, Just r- Realizing that Nothing was, was going to come to Yeah to? the expectations of it Just knowing that Nothing was going to come from it If you didn't take it seriously Um, A lot of times when you're young, you want to rap because you want to show off to the girls You want to (laughs) show off to your friends You want to act like you got all this type of stuff And then as I got older and I started doing the Keeper of the Plains things I started realizing that I do music because I love to do music It's not about wanting to be famous It's not about wanting to be around people It's just, I just love to do music You know, like right now, most of the people that are going out in the clubs They know me as a DJ They don't know a whole lot of my music as far as the back, back stuff You know, and that's fine Um, But I feel like, you know, I think that you have to be, oh, you have to understand that music is, there's so much that goes into music. And I think a lot of people, they they forget, they think all I can do is rap or all I do is make beats. And then I put this music out and it's going to be a hit. And there's so much that goes into being an artist that a lot of artists miss. And I think that's that's a main problem with our town here, you know, I think.
0: And especially someplace like here, you really have to cross your T's and dot your I's because... You know, especially with hip-hop, you know, when you're dealing with people coming from Chicago, Houston, L.A., New York, mm-hmm. Atlanta, they're already looking at you in this preconceived exactly. notion exactly. like, you know, mm-hmm. okay, it's it's whatever down there. And
1: you tell them you're from Kansas, like, we, we've we been everywhere, you know what yeah. I'm saying? You know, by the grace of God, you know, we've been able to do shows all over this country, me and Twan did, and everywhere we went, we got the same reaction, Kansas. Wichita Falls, <laughs> Kansas City. You know, that that was the results that we got. And then we got on stage, everybody was like, oh yeah, these dudes rock out. But before that, it was like, nah, we don't even wanna get these dudes a chance. They from Kansas, ain't nobody out in Kansas. You know, what we gonna do with this, you know? So we had to really, we had to push really, you know what I'm saying, we had to push. And I don't I don't think a lot of people are made for that. They don't know how hard it, it really is just to get to where the level was that Twan was, to where we were getting deals and offers from people And it was hard work, you know I mean? It was every day, neither one of us had a job. We didn't have a full-time job. Our full-time job was music, you know? And that's almost the mentality you have to take if you're looking at being that type of person. And it's hard because being an artist costs money. Yeah. You know, being a DJ, you make money being a DJ. You make money being a producer. Well, if you're doing it right, you make money being a producer. But being an artist, you spend a lot more money and you hope that on the back end, you make this money. So you have to have a lot of faith in yourself, you know?
0: What was it like when people start talking to you about deals? You mentioned that. Was that that when, you know, people forget that, you know, the music business is a business. Mm -hmm. Was that when it was like, oh yeah, it's fun, but it started not to be a little yeah.
1: fun too. It, it started getting it started getting stressful. That's when we started getting the, why ain't y'all doing stuff? Why ain't this happening? Why ain't that happening? And a lot of people didn't understand. We had a lot of people. We had business lawyers. We had all these people. We had Mr. Jones, you know, God rest his soul. He was a great man, our accountant. Um, he used to do so much for us, you know. And, um, you know, uh, we had so much stuff that was running. And I think that, I think that, Man, I don't even know how to put it. It was just, it was like a whirlwind. We didn't expect none of that to happen. We dropped Twan's first single with the full intention of just playing this one song and keep moving to the next. We never had no intention that that was going to play. Twan's still getting played in Salt Lake City. They just added it to Salt Lake City. That song is 10 years old. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, well, damn, it's longer than that now Now that I think about it. You know, you're looking at 13, 14 (laughs) years old. And it's like, it's like that song is still moving, you know? And we didn't know. We had no clue what that was going to happen. No clue, you know?
0: Now you mentioned dealing with lawyers and everything, and mm-hmm. it, uh, hopefully the statute of limitations for this is over. <laughs> and and I, and I did a little bit of research, um, and and maybe you can talk about it. Maybe you can't. You had albums that were called "The Keeper of the Plains," which mm-hmm. you actually got sued.
1: Yep, over. I sure did. Yeah, can they you tried talk to. About, oh yeah, yeah. We talked about it all day long. <laughs> I'm here, man. I'm here. You know, I, <laughs> didn't, I didn't know.
0: You know, hey, I didn't <laughs> no, know. Uh, um, but go ahead and tell a story of just how that. So it, it's kind of a be. funny story
1: because the, the actual the people who had the problem with it at the time, they were actually friends of ours. And it was weird because anybody who knows me, if, if you know Cadence, if you really come to me, and you'd be like, Cadence, I need this. You know, can you help me out? I'm going to do the best I can to try and get it done. It might not get done that minute, but I promise you I'm going to do my best to get it done. So she was like trying to get me to do this, this party for them at the Indian Center. So she sends me a message and she's just like, hey, you know, I seen your albums called Keeper of the Plains, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's you know, I'm just trying to, you know, show love to my city. I don't know who she is, you know, just out of the blue. And she's just like, oh, well, you know, my parents own that and they own the rights to it and we can sue you and blah, 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 blah. And I'm Now, just is that like, like
0: Black Bear Boson's family?
1: Yeah, like out of the blue, <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, whoa, like, like one, that wasn't my intentions, you know what I'm saying? Two, like, you know, like, what is the, where is this coming from? You know, and then, then it turned it, the whole thing changed. It was like, well, if you can come do a show for us at the Indian Center, then we can work <laughs> something out. <laughs> And by then, I was so livid because I was like, wait a minute, why didn't you just come to me at the beginning and say, hey, we are at the Indian Center, you got a song called Keeper of the Plains, why don't you come up here and do some music for us? I would have loved to have done that. Right. You know, so that really kind of, really kind of
0: rubbed you wrong. Yeah, it rubbed
1: there. me wrong. It, it really wasn't like, and they never ended up suing me or anything like that. But it was just the fact that somebody would try to go that route instead right. of just being like, hey, I know you're from the city, I'm from the city, let's try and network and do something. Cause like I said, anybody who knows me knows I'm about networking. If 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 it makes sense, you know what I'm saying. So.
0: Especially when you see every postcard with the keeper of the plane. Exactly. Is so it's kind of like at, at what point is it kind of like? Hmm.
1: Yeah, and that's what I was saying too. I said as far as I knew, that was a that's a you know a public you know that's for public. I've seen it in a million other pictures. I've seen it everywhere else, but. I always wanted to let them know that I didn't mean no disrespect by it. You know what I'm saying? This was my tribute to my city. This was a tribute to me to saying really where the keeper of the planes thing came from me was that I make beats, I rap, I sing, I make commercials for the, for the radio. You know, I do all this other stuff and I'm like, Hey, if you want to do music or do anything in this city, I'm not saying you have to rock with me, but at some point in time you're going to have to make some type of connection with me. Right. And that's where the whole keeper of the planes thing came from. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you make beats, if you need beats, I got you. You need a verse, I got you. You need somebody to sing, I got you. I got all these other things, and that's where I was trying to bring into it. But I felt like they thought I was trying to run with it or something, you know. <laughs> but but it's all love, you know what I'm saying? I, you know what I'm saying? You they did the cool. show, so it's cool. Yes, did the show. Everything went good, you know, and everything like that. But it, it's just weird how sometimes people think that you're somebody you're not, you know. And it's like yeah. if you would just talk to people, a lot of times you can find out that those people are using on your side. How
0: did uh, Treble Clef Productions come up?
1: Treble Clef came from, you know, me and Twan.
0: um, Sometimes uh, life gets in the way.
1: Life gets in the way sometimes. I'll I'll help you out. Sometimes life gets in the way. So so it was like me and Twan decided to kind of do our own separate things. We had a couple different visions on what we wanted to do, you know. And so I started my own label. He kept Prophecy. It's still all love. I just left Twan Sack about two months ago out in Phoenix. We did a video together. We've been doing songs and music ever since, you know. So... Um, it was just something that I wanted to do on my own. I wanted to have my own thing to where I could control it. And, and really, when I started Trouble Cliff, I wanted to make it more of like the way the hitmen were, where it was just it wasn't just me. I wanted to have a group of producers because I've always been about a team. You know, sure. uh, a lot of times people see me and they, they see me and I'm so kind of outgoing in the club. So they think that, oh, he's kind of he's kind of a selfish kind of person. Because most people that I'm the way I act in the club, they think that I'm. About myself, but I've never been about that. I'm like a point guard. I would much rather sit on a team and everybody win and we all win a championship than me win by myself, you know?
0: So. And then uh, Trouble Cliff also did promotions, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did promotions for people. We ran a lot of promotions for, you know, for like Johnita LeVette. We ran a lot of stuff for her. Um, we did promotions as far as like radios, you know, for uh, for the clubs and things like that. Um, I also do promotions for uh, for Tulsa out there also. That's really what I've been getting into lately is just trying to run more commercials and do things like that, you know, and exposure and stuff on that end. So.
0: When did you really start getting into... DJing in some of the Wichita clubs?
1: Uh, like DJing in here. the clubs, that started with the Radisson, which goes way back, yeah, the Radisson, yeah, exactly. Um, one of my friends, same thing, it was like karaoke, he was like, hey, can you do karaoke for me? And you know, during the middle of it, play a couple little dance songs in the middle, just kind of keep them occupied. So what ended up happening was that everybody wanted to hear the dance songs and they didn't even really care about listening to the karaoke anymore. And then before I knew it, it I would get to work at nine o'clock and people were just like, we don't even want to hear the karaoke. We just want to hear dance music. Let's just party. And keep in mind, back then, Old Town, there was no hip-hop music right. at that time.
0: Right. Yeah, there was none. Right. So this is around what year?
1: About 2005, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, somewhere that's, around then. That's
0: pre-flashbacks.
1: That's yeah, pre- way before flashbacks that, That's and what all America's
0: all that. Pub was. Exactly. Buttoned you had,
1: up, had to have a tie on. And you know? had to have separate clothes. Like, I'd be telling yeah. a lot of these young cats, like, they don't understand, like, we used to go to the mall and buy club jeans, you know what I'm saying, because they wasn't <laughs> letting us in in our regular baggy clothes. You you had to separate yourself. Me and Royce go to the club. I got to put a white person or a girl between us just to act like me and him don't go to the club together because if we come up together, we're not getting in, you know.
0: You know, there was a great story by KTV. I got to call some of my friends at KTV and mm-hmm. see if they can find it. I don't know if you remember, but it was it was uh, uh, before, it was Al Joe, I Joe's. Yeah, I remember. I want mm-hmm. to say, and they people were complaining about not getting in, mm-hmm. and so they did let like, an undercover investigative story. Yeah, where I they remember. Had that. A, a, a white dude walk in with with uh, with an outfit, and then a black dude walk in with the same outfit, and they did not let the yeah. black dude in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they went back, and they were like, oh, no, he he had his shirt tight, And they're like, "No, he did." I mean, yeah. they rolled back to it. It was cold. It was, it was cold. That's how it was in the old town. Yeah, and that was only ten years. Yeah, ago.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't that, it wasn't that far long ago. <laughs> no. You know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> no. and it, it's done. To, to speak to the clubs, things can always get better. It's yeah. just like anything else in the world. Anything can get better, but it's gotten much better because, like I said, in Old Town, we were not welcome. Nowhere mm-hmm. near Old Town. No hip-hop, no nothing. It was all, maybe you got a little, uh, you know, um, some little, you know, uh, shake what your mama gave you or something like that in the middle. They have some best butt contest and stuff or something like that. But other than that, no, there wasn't no hip-hop. So we used to have a line outside the door people, you know what I'm saying? And that's when people started seeing me as a DJ, you know, and it just kind of took off from there, so...
0: You know, I'm glad you kind of touched on that because I did kind of want to get into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know things are better now, but even with—and you don't have to say names or even club names. Yeah. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: is there sort of for, you know, being a DJ, people know you do hip-hop or can do hip-hop. Is there sort of one of those things where—have um, you ever been told what to play, what not to play?
1: Um Not really me. Um, I've seen a lot of people get that to where they're told and what not to play or anything. Um, One, I always go where people understand that I'm not, I'm never going anywhere to try and cause any problems. You know what I'm saying? I don't like playing a lot of drama music. Um, I was known really at Liquid, like when I was at Liquid, when people got to throwing gang signs and all that type of stuff, I would stop the music. You know, like, hey, we're not going to do that. And not because I don't respect gang members. It was just the fact of... We got Bloods on this room, we got Crips in this room, we got all these other people in this room, and we don't know what how they feel in the day, so let's be respectful of everybody in the room. You know what I'm saying? And that was really my point of it. So a lot of people started to realize that I was kind of like the no-nonsense type of person like that, I don't I don't really deal with that in the club. You know, We here to hang out with the ladies and have a good time, enjoy ourselves. That's what we're really supposed to be here. Not all this fighting and rah, 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 y'all can do that some other time. You know, so I've never really had that problem, but I've seen other clubs where it has been that problem, you know, where it's like, hey, you can't play this. You can't play that. Don't play this. Don't play that. You know, and my thing is I don't want to be anywhere where I'm like a I don't want to say like a monkey, but really a monkey. It's just like play whatever. You know, you just sit here and push a button and be a jukebox like your DJ has to be able to control a room. Your DJ has to know what makes that room move. And I think a lot of times people miss out on that. You know, so
0: do you like DJing in old town better than outside of old town?
1: Yes. Yes. Hands down, hands yeah. down.
0: You like being in Old Town a little more.
1: Yeah, way more. I've been outside of Old Town. I've done the whole. I don't want to be nowhere near Old Town, so I'm gonna sure. go way out. I was at Lightning Joe's way out west. It was great. A lot of people like. I Lightning used to Joes. love going to Lightning, Lightning Joe's. By, by the way, was off the I chain. Derek Kellogg yeah. back in the
0: 107 Night Jams. Yeah, yeah that was off the chain. Every Friday and Saturday, mm-hmm.
1: that was off the chain. And you know, so it was. It was always you know, like I, I had fun, but. I like to play hip-hop music, but I like to be around a wide range of people. You know what I'm saying? I was really, my favorite place was Doc (laughs) Hours because you could walk in there and you could see the Asians were partying, the Mexicans were partying, the whites were partying, the blacks were partying, everybody partied all in one room. You know what I mean? And before the perception got out, where the media started trying to leak it, like it was like all of a sudden we're running some gang member place, which was never like that. Because anybody who was ever going to Docs, they knew that Docs wasn't like that. But the people who weren't, who were just watching the news when they had this attack on Old Town, they felt like all of a sudden Docs was like a fight club in there or something, and it was never like that at Doc Howard's. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's just it's just weird how the media sometimes can portray things. But I love the media too. I think you know they're we're good and we're bad. We all have good and bad things about us. You know, but oh man, it, we, we went through a lot in Old Town, that's for sure.
0: Now, do you think, now, and this can be a touchy subject, um, you know, because you say we, sometimes I think hip hop in this town is associated strictly with black people also.
1: Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So, do you think, and it shouldn't.
0: It, yeah, and, and it should. Mm-hmm. I mean, because let's keep it real hip hop couldn't sustain itself if only black people were listening. Yeah, I, I mean, that's any I agree. music genre. Mm-hmm. Um
1: I think that I think that sometimes black people do they they do hip hop a disservice yeah. by doing that type of thing by saying this is this is ours, this is ours, this is ours. And it's like, you know, if if it was only ours, it probably wouldn't have been around this long. You know, it probably would have fell at some point or time by now. So we need that. We need other people to embrace our culture and embrace what we're doing, you know what I'm saying? But we also have to stay true to our culture as we are, you know. So
0: But DJing downtown during the time that the cops were really watching and there was mm-hmm. a lot of problems down there. Do you think it was attacked more on hip-hop, per se?
1: I think it was misinformation more than anything. A lot of those cops that were down there, they don't listen to hip-hop. Right. So all they know, and I still get it to these days. Because um, I've, I've, there are
0: clubs down there who played hip-hop, but were a little more predominantly white. Exactly. That, that they didn't, didn't have get problems.
1: I, I agree 100%. You know, and I'm not
0: saying either. You know, I'm not trying mm-hmm. to be like duh, 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 duh. But it is It is one of those things. I mean, and, like,
1: and that's the thing about being politically correct sometimes. It's like... It's, it's nothing wrong with saying the truth, and that's really what it was, you know, because, I, I mean, when I was at Liquid, they told us we can't put speakers outside the outside of Liquid. It was, they were like, we'll put an ordinance on you, we're going to sit across the street with, with the little decibel meter, and if it goes to this certain level, we'll come in and give you a ticket for it. And that's what was told to us, and then meanwhile, you go down to another club that's right down the street, that's a predominantly white club, they're playing the same music that we're playing. Right and they got speakers outside and they're cussing, everything's going off and there's no problem. You know, so you know, to act like there's not a problem, is I think is is doing it a disservice, you know. And I'm not saying that everybody's that way by no means. I got like I said, I was just getting ready to say that you know the last they had a concert that was going on before, and a couple police officers called me and they asked me. They said, "Hey, is this going to be something that's going to cause us problems?" I told them, I said, "No, this is going to be more of an R&B type of, a lot of ladies, blah blah blah." And they was like, "Okay, cool." And it and it went on. They had no problem. So I will say they are doing more to try and listen to what we're saying and understand that not all hip hop is bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Not all hip hop is negative. Not all of it's going to bring out a bunch of trouble, you know. Some of it. It's just you know, we like to party, you know, and you know, and we should be able to do that just like everybody else, you know, and you know, I, ju- I just think that that's a that's a big problem here in Wichita, but it is getting better, it is working, and you know, we are doing more steps. So
0: now there's uh, some more hip hop clubs started. It, it it seems like we go in peaks and valleys, especially yeah, in Old definitely. Town. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think we're about to hit another peak? Yeah. with some of the hip hop clubs, yeah,
1: definitely in Old Town. Um, and then
0: why do you think we go in valleys?
1: Because because I think that. We're there's there's any time that we get a group of of minority people together, our city gets a little scared. For some, for other, for for whatever reason, you know, whether it's past history, whether it's you know a little bit of pre you know misconceptions on what's going on, you know, for whatever reason. So any you get a big room full of people, they automatically think something bad's going to happen. So they already try and label it that way, you know, and it, it, it's it's just a little upsetting when like. I could be at a club for four months straight and not have a single fight, have no problems. Everybody goes home peacefully. Half the nights we might be even slow to where we're, you know, we're right on the cusp of, you know, even being open for business. And then we get one night where everything gets busy. We get one little problem. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, they've been having problems the whole time and we can't handle them and they need to get out. And, you know, and that is the thing that really upsets, you know, I'm saying the club owners, because it's like. You guys don't know that we've been in here for four months straight without a problem. We've been doing this every single day. I used to say that at Liquid every another day without any type of problems. Thank you guys. Let's keep this up. Let's have a place to go. So because we want to go somewhere and be safe, just like they want us to go somewhere and be safe, you know. But it's like we need them type of places. We need somewhere to be able to go. And if you don't give them somewhere to go, they're gonna be on the streets, you know.
0: Now, what was it? you mentioned Doc Howard's? What were some of the other favorite um, hip hop clubs? Well, a you you went to come on, uh, coming up, you know, mm-hmm. as a, before you actually kind of really start DJing a lot in mm-hmm. the clubs and then moving into DJing the clubs, what were some of the ones that, uh, that you really like DJing where, where you're like, this has been ran right. I love coming in. Like it's, it's great.
1: Um, really, are you
0: still looking for <laughs> Every, well,
1: every place that I've written, that I've been at for the most part, they all have their little hiccups, you know, no place is perfect. Um, to me, Doc Howard's was the best. I, I really liked Doc Howard's just because he was so diverse. And I really like, I like all types of people. You know, I don't like to pigeon my, pigeonhole myself into, I gotta hang out with these people or I'll be on this side or do this and that. I like to be with everybody. So I thought Doc Howard's was a really cool place. Um, I love Liquid because we got to play hip hop in there and it was a nice place and it looked nice. And Liquid was the first place where I felt like um, black people were welcome. And it also looked nice because a lot of places before we were welcome, but they were kind of trashy. You know, they were, you know, and it's like to say what it is, you know, they were just they weren't in good spots. You know, people were like, I go there, but I wouldn't hang out in there, you know, stuff like that. And Liquid was the first place where it was like, I can go there and it's still nice. I can bring people from out of town and stuff like that. Seems
0: like Liquid was one of the very first clubs in Old Town that didn't have a hip hop night or a hip hop show here and there. It was a hip-hop club.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it was made for. Um, When when Shapiro made that, when Brian made those two clubs, he had Doc Howers and he also had Liquid. That was his purpose. He wanted to have a place to where people who do hip-hop could go over there. Brian's so cool. I mean, shout out to Brian. I mean, he is just a great guy. You know what I'm saying? He did so much for me. Even in my career, you know, even in my personal life and things, you know, I, I worked at Liquid and Docs for about three years. Yeah. And, I mean, he was definitely in my corner 24-7. So he's he's a great guy,
0: you know. What were some of the favorite shows that you DJ oh, for? Because I know you DJ for a lot of, <laughs> you know, a lot of the radio shows, man. a lot of concerts. Like, what what's some of the memorable moments that you were oh, like, holy crap. Like, you know, when when you're chilling with somebody backstage in Old yeah. Town. or What's some of the memorable um, hip-hop backstage moments that Cadence remembers?
1: Uh, well, I remember my 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 biggest memory is calling Greg when I was working at Best Buy and asking him if I could do the TI show, um, if I could perform that show. And I remember calling everybody and asking him, hey, I'm going to call Greg and think that I I think I think can get the show. I think I can get it. And he was like, man, I don't know. You know, Greg, he ain't going to get you the show. You know, I don't think he's going to work. I said, man, me and Greg is cool, man. I've always kept it 100 with him. He's always been cool with me. So I called him, I was so nervous, I was shaking, like, hey Greg, um you, you think I could do the show? You know, and I ran off this big old spill on why he <laughs> thought I should do the show. And I and when he when I got done explaining why I thought I should do the show, he was like, Yeah, that's fine, no problem. You know, I'll send you the tickets and we'll get everything done. You know, and I was just like, wow, that was so easy, you know? And then I got to meet T.I., I got to see Bower right before he fell off the stage. Bow almost <laughs> fell literally right yeah. on the side of me when he yeah. fell, you know, so. Um, that was really big as far as being an artist. My um, first show we ever did was, was with Tech9 and B2K at, at the Cotillion. God, yeah. um, that was a huge show. Tech9 told me a lot of game that first game, that first show. He sat, we sat on the back of his uh, on the back of his bus, and he talked to me and Twan for about two hours about just different things in the game and how to be successful and how to stay, you know, longevity with it. And I still take some of that stuff to, to this day. So
0: great story about Ti. That was <clears throat> I'll never forget. That was the Holiday Jam uh-huh, the holiday in jam. 2008. So it's mm-hmm. like. Either right before or right after Thanksgiving weekend, mm-hmm. that was my first big show with the station. With the station, uh-huh. right? So we're at the Kansas Coliseum. I'm like, oh man, you know, fun. Ti's up there now. You know, backstage is is what it is. Mm-hmm. And part of his writers, he had to have so much Popeyes, but also he had to have so many caterates. <laughs> right? And so when I say. Boxes of chicken. I mean, there was probably... Well, hell, you remember seeing it. There was probably 100 boxes of, like, uh, Popeye's meals. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, I remember wh- while T.I. was on stage, I maybe saw two minutes of T.I. because I was taking all the Popeyes <laughs> from backstage to the car. I mean, I went home with like three or four cases <laughs> yeah, of Gatorade. Because, yeah. see, that's a lot. That People, they have so much on their rider and they're never going to drink never all gonna of it. Never
1: going to drink it or have it or anything like that. So, yep. like, while
0: the main artist is on the stage, because they don't stick around, yep. I'm back there swiping Gatorade, exactly. man. I probably got $30 exactly. worth of Gatorade that uh, night. I'm
1: telling you. I'm telling How you. I argue, remember man. when Cash Out came to Doc Howard's. And- and they were um, in the back there. You know, I performed at that show also and DJed a little bit. And um, they had, like, five big, huge bottles of liquor. You know, I mean, Patron, they got Ciroc, they got they got Henny, they got all this stuff sitting back here. And then Cash Out comes out. And Cash Out, I mean, he's taller than me, but he's a he's skinny dude. So I'm sitting there like, this dude is not about to drink one of these bottles, much less five of these bottles. By the end of the night, he's trying to give them away to people. You know what I'm saying? And it's just crazy how— How, like, people, when you're on the outside and they look, they be like, oh, man, backstage must be off the chain, man. It must be like it's just strippers running around everywhere and just money falling all out the ceiling. It's the most boring place to be. I tell people that all the time. They're like, can you get me backstage? I'm like, you don't want to be backstage. That's why when you see me at concerts, I'll be on the side of the stage. That's why we're out there with you, with the crowd. exactly. It's so boring backstage. You know what I'm saying? It's it's really boring backstage. Ain't nothing going on back there. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and, but people still don't believe you.
1: They don't believe you. They have to see it for themselves. And then when they get a backstage pass, and I mean, it's cool to go meet the people. You know, you do your meet and greets and stuff. But as far as just hanging out backstage, they don't even like to hang out backstage. They get their food. They do whatever they do. They come out on stage, and then they're good. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of people got misconceptions of that. I think that's kind of funny.
0: Now, which you like better, performing or DJing? Oh, man, that's so tough. In some senses, DJing is a performance. DJing
1: is performing, yeah, but I agree.
0: I guess which one do? You, would you rather do a show or DJ a club? Man, that is
1: so. That that's a really, really good question.
0: Or what's the difference between the two?
1: Um, I would say the difference between the two is stress. I don't. Okay. I don't stress when I DJ. Um, I, I'm happy to get up there and play music. I'm. I'm. A lot of DJs are like they don't do a lot of requests. You know, they're really mm. anti the the people type of thing. They're like, just leave me in my corner. Let me play my music, and you're gonna vibe to what I do. <laughs> I'm a DJ that's like all the songs that I've played that people are like, oh, that's my jam. I got that from somebody else. Right. So I welcome requests. You know, I want you to bring me your requests and stuff because I don't have the time to sit at home and go through crates and, and listen to music and hope that this is a song that you guys are going to like the way I like it. I want to hear people tell me what their response is. So to me, DJing is so much easier than being an artist, you know.
0: Now, especially in show, how much do you think the DJ game has changed, whether it be. Um, mp3s Mm -hmm. um i'm i'm a firm believer in this that especially now uh, you know in wichita you can still have an exclusive i don't think you know you could hear it one night and go download it that night and play it in another club the next night yeah mm -hmm. um how has that affected you to where are you having to be i don't want to say even more up on your music even in a town like this but you know somebody might come in and say hey man i want to hear little uzi vert and you know, a track album instead of, you know, Drake. Mm-hmm. Like the hits. Yeah, yeah. Is it one of those things where you you have to come with even that much more of a of a repertoire, I guess?
1: Um yeah, that's 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 a really good question. Um, normally how it goes for me is normally somebody would come up to me. Uzi Vert's a good example. Right. I had never heard of Uzi Vert before, um, before probably about three weeks before I did the concert when he came here to fifty four. Okay. Somebody came up to me and said, hey, you got that little Uzi vert? And I'm sitting there thinking, "Little Uzi, like, I'm in the club. You know what I'm saying? This is old town. I'm not trying to play nothing called Uzi. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, that's, yeah, 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 that's sure, not going sure. down. So I'm like, nah, I ain't got that. And the girl kind of looked at me. She wasn't disrespectful or nothing, but she kind of looked at me and was like, like, man, you slipping. Like, that's cool. Okay, you ain't got it. <laughs> so she turned over to her friend. She went and whispered over to her friend like, hey, he ain't got it. And her friend just kind of looked there and just shook her head. So I felt like I was missing something, you know what I'm saying? So i immediately went and tried to go download some stuff. And then when I got home, I went and listened to some of his stuff and I said, okay, dude, go. I, I like what he's talking about. So I started kinda incorporating it in. And that's why I say a lot of times with artists, you can't get upset when a DJ don't play your song that exact minute. I love Uzi Vert now. You know what I'm saying? Uzi Vert, like that, that too much sauce song on on uh on the Esco mixtape with Future, that's my favorite song on that album. You know what I'm saying? So you, you can't be mad because a DJ don't want to play your song that first time. Sometimes we're so busy into what we're doing, I don't have time to sit here and critique it and think if all these other people are going to like it. You know, so give them people that song. Let them go home and think on it and then come back and ask them, do you like the song? What don't you like? You know what I'm saying? I think that's that's the thing that as local artists in town, we got to get thicker skin. You know, what I mean, DJ three is my dude. When I first started doing my music, I used to send three of my albums and I called three and everybody else loved my stuff. They was like, hey, this is hot. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm like, I know three gon' like it. I send it to three. Hey, three, what you think? I can't rock with none of this. You know what I'm saying? Now I could be all, you know, forget three, you know, hopping my space at that time. Forget, right. <laughs> forget three, he ain't nothing, blah, 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 blah. What does that do? That burns my bridge. Now what happens if I make a next hit and I go over to three and he already didn't seen I'm talking bad about him? He's not going to be willing to go and, you know, and help me out on that because he already feels some type of way about me. And that's what I be telling these young cats. Don't get upset because somebody don't like your song. Michael Jackson is the, is the best artist in the world in my eyes. And there's still songs that when I listen to his music, I skip past. Right. Don't mean I don't like Michael Jackson. It just means that song at that time ain't for me. I might come back and listen to PYT today, but today I might be in a bad mood and don't want to hear that. You can't be upset at these people, you know what I'm saying? You have to keep moving and keep grinding and keep bringing more hits until they find something. And the more music you bring to them, the more hits that, you know, they're going to find hits
0: when you bring up an interesting point too, being, being an artist and being a DJ, you kind of ride a fine line it's and, hard. You, and you've experienced both. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that DJs in this hound have a responsibility to play local artists in the club or, or is it like, you know, cause the cream rises to the top. Yeah. There's always going to be somebody good. At yeah. least one, at least. Yeah. You, you mm-hmm. know, there, there's agree. a lot of great talent out there, but do you think that there's a reason? Uh, let me put it this way. As a, As a DJ, Mm -hmm. DJing in a club, you're rocking a crowd. Do you think you have any responsibility to play anybody local or to play the hits, what people want to hear?
1: I know a lot of people ain't going to like this, but DJs don't have a responsibility to do nothing but to make sure that I get my check at the end of the night and make my owner happy. That's the only thing that I have a responsibility to do. Now, if I feel like that your music is talented and we should be pushing your music— Yeah, I'll play your music, I have no problem playing it. But here's my thing. To me, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, you know what I'm saying, I could be wrong by all means, but I feel like going to the club and having your music played is one of the last steps that you do. I feel like you should be out promoting your music in the streets, you should be promoting it with your friends, you should be on YouTube, you should be on SoundCloud, you should be doing all of this stuff. Um, Essie Trill is a perfect example. He brought me a bunch of songs, and, and this is my dude, like, like, I love SC like a little brother, you know what I'm saying? He used to bring me songs, I'd be like, nah, that ain't it, Trill, that ain't it, that ain't it, that ain't it. That ain't it. He brought me a song one day, and um, he was like, what do you think about this? I got a couple other DJs playing, I know you are gonna like this. It was cool, and I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, I'll check it out later. So he was like, alright, he walked off and left. About two weeks later, this girl comes with me. Hey, you got that new SC Trill song in Cash Boy? I was like, uh, nah, I ain't really got it. What you talking about? <laughs> and she was like, oh, it's this song called, boy, girl, you got a big O booty. And I'm like, nah, 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 I don't think I ever heard that. And she's like, dude, you slipping. You, you need to get that. So I was like, so Trill came into the club like a week later. I'm like, Trill, what is this song that this girl came and asked me for? He said, man, that's the song I gave you last week. So I'm like, oh, now I'm missing something. The point of that is that you—it ain't necessarily what you bring to a DJ. Sometimes it's other people bringing it to him, and it's not because you sit in the club like, "Hey, go tell him to go play my song." You know what I'm saying? If you out promoting your music, sooner or later somebody's gonna come to us and be like, "Hey, you got that YBM smooth? Do you got that? You know? Do you got the new Bo Pesci? Is that you know what I'm saying?" Because if you really out here grinding, people know what you're doing, and they gonna want to hear your music, just like they are requesting the other type of stuff that we have. Uh, I just think people have to get more. You gotta get more in tune with your fans. You know what I'm saying? Because nine times out of 10, when I play local music, and and local people hate to hear this, but when we play local music in the club, most of the time the people come to the floor or come to the DJ booth and they go, What the hell is this? What is this? You know, and that's exactly how they say it, you know? And and it's like, I don't want to hurt people's feelings because I know a lot of times people are sensitive. I'm sensitive about my music, too. Right. It's your baby. It's nobody your wants baby. To, nobody exactly. wants to be told their baby's ugly. Okay. Exactly. But it's like, it's like sometimes you got to understand that your baby's not Miss America. You know right. what I'm saying? That, and and these people, sometimes they get so offended, but they don't understand what it's like to sit in a DJ booth and have somebody come over there and be like, what the hell did you just play, Cadence? That's horrible. You ain't never played nothing like this. Why are you playing this? And I go, oh, it's, it's, it's a local artist, you know? So I'm thinking they're gonna be like, okay, cool, it's local. Man, turn this off. That's because you ain't doing the back end or what you're supposed to do. When you get to the club, what, what people don't understand is when you're in the club, it, it's cool to break music, but music is broken early in the club, and most people don't want to go to the club early. They want to show up late and be like, hey, I'm the center of attention, let me pop up at 1230. That's not the time to run new music, right. because everybody want to be on Snapchat. Hey, let me sing my song in, the, you know, in my phone, or sing it in the mirror with all my girls and all that type of stuff. As soon as I play a local song, don't nobody know, boom, the whole dance floor clears. And then the local dude, he don't even want to go out and dance because now he embarrassed. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's, it's like you got you to gotta understand how things work. You know what I'm saying? You can't go to a DJ at 1230 and say, run my music right now. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't work that way. Come to the DJ on Wednesday and say, hey, check my song out. You know what I'm saying? Follow back up with him, because I get, man, I get so many emails. You know what I'm saying? It's like people be like, hey, check this out. Okay, cool, and I'll come back to it later. But a lot of times, they don't tell me, did you check it out? Hey, what's going on? Just following up. A lot of times, I don't get a chance to check that out. You know what I'm saying? So,
0: How do you view the Wichita local scene right now, hip-hop local scene?
1: Our local scene is lost right now. Really? I I, I think it's lost. You know what I'm saying? Um, there's no leadership. And it's part of our fault, Our uh, this older cats that are here. Um, I think some of it is that the fact that we spent so much time trying to beef, not really beef, but... Prophecy better than Gator Maid. Gator May better than Roguish. Rogish better than Whoopty Boo. woo You know what I'm saying? So it was like everybody was so, so much in their own circles that we didn't show these young cats that, hey, you can still be in your circle, but network on the outside. You know what I'm saying? Be cool with everybody else. It's not a competition because we're all in the same boat. A lot of people didn't get that memo. So now these cats is out here, these younger dudes, and they out here with that same mentality. And it's not working for our city because Tuan had me to fall back on. You know what I'm saying? When Twan, was, when Twan was getting all that heat and everybody was like, I don't like Twansack, sack, the little short rapping dude would be busting with him. I like that dude. But Twansack, sack, I don't mess with him. You know what I'm saying? He had me to fall back on. Sometimes you need that. And a lot of times it's everybody doing it for themselves. So you getting shot left and right. And you ain't got nobody to deflect no bullets. You ain't got nobody to take that energy away from you. You know what I'm saying? So that way you ain't got to worry about that. And I think, I think that's a it's, it, our, our city's lost. And a lot of them don't want to listen when we try to tell them things like that. It's like, hey, he just goes over their head. You know, what does he know? He don't know nothing. And they don't know. Like, man, we done been everywhere, you know, all over the country doing this. And we have met all the people that you—the 50 Cents, the Fabulouses, the Tech Nines, the Fat Joes. I mean, I could go on and on with shows that I've done with people, and they've all told me the same exact things. You know what I'm saying? And I try to give it to a lot of young people, but sometimes they don't want to listen. You can't force them to—it's probably too late almost, so—
0: there's still some hope, though. Oh, yeah, there's still hope. There, there's still there's hope.
1: There's a lot of talent here. I don't I don't want to say it like it ain't no talent here. Yeah. It's a lot of talent here. It's a lot of people. I just think we need a little bit of guidance. It would be great if we would have had a cash out who made it here, and he could be like, hey, this is how you do it to be successful. Twan was the closest to do it. I mean, in XV, you know what I'm saying? And... And, you know, with with XV, I wish he was around a little bit more so he could kind of give some of that game to some of these younger cats like that, you know, so that way he could show them because he has a lot of information that he could give to a lot of these younger dudes. And I think us as the older generation, we got to start giving back to the younger ones to show them how to set it up, because these little kids that are nine years old are going to be the ones that are really going to be trying to make it. And we got to show them how to do it all the way through. So...
0: Well, Cadence, man, this has been a blast. I appreciate it. Hey, you man, I'm through, glad
1: man. to be here, man. Glad to be here. We can be here all day long. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, there you have it, family. Um, once again, thank you so much for checking in to another episode of ICT360. This was episode number four. You can ch- check out the other three episodes on our iTunes or on SoundCloud. Just search for ICT360. You can check out the Mamarazzi episode, the Creme Dela episode, and of course the B-Boy Pattern episode. We'll be having another great episode for you here in two weeks. Until then, a holla. Peace.